0: The Dragon Reread is brought to you by the Armadillo Podcasting Club.
1: So you know how tuna has historically been known as the chicken of the sea? Well, in the mid-1850s, there was a brief attempt to market the armadillo as the chicken of the plains, but it failed because, you know, chickens are the chicken of the plains. <laughs>
0: <laughs> For more armadillo-related facts and to unlock bonus content, please check us out at patreon.com armadillo podcasting club.
2: Wheel of Time turns and ages come and pass, leaving memories that become
0: podcasts.
2: Hello there, welcome to The Dragon Reread. We're rereading Robert Jordan's Wheel of Time series of fantasy novels. I'm Jeff Lake.
0: I'm Alice Sullivan. And
2: I'm Micah Sparkman. And today we're going to cover chapters
1: 38 through 42 of The Fires of Heaven, Book 5 of The Wheel of Time. So previously, NDA kind of settled into their circus life, and Elaine put a whole bunch of skill points into crafting skills. You know, because Nynaeve has her healing thing, Egwene has her dream walking thing, Elaine needed a thing, so she's learning magical arts and crafts. Meanwhile, uh, reaching peak NDA, Nynaeve springs a trap from Forsaken, and it goes really bad. There's a bunch of BDSM horse stuff in there. Uh, Beergeet gets knocked out of the pattern for all eternity. It's just, it's just bad. Uh, anyway, Elaine locks that hero of legend down by making her a warder, and Nynaeve gets real emo about everything. Uh, then they all have a circus performance, which seems a little, you know, out of place, all things considered. You know, considering there's a Forsaken hunting them, but but apparently they're really committing to the circus subplot. So there you have it. <laughs> chapter thirty-eight: An old
2: acquaintance, icon of the wheel of time, which the wheel of time is what we get when old friends meet.
1: That's right, and yeah. anytime that they aren't sure what symbol we'll to put at the beginning of the chapter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's
0: what I thought. Yeah,
1: so I'm then, telling you, it's the default clip art. Nynaeve <laughs> saw Uno in the crowd, and she catches up with them. And she and, immediately noticed that he has he has some like vocabulary limitations. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's right. He, I, this cursing thing is kind of a. Speech impediment, right? Almost, like he has trouble not doing it. I, I, I mean, I, I understand that it bothers Naive a little bit, but I feel kind of bad for him because he's really trying. Yeah, I love it
0: when she's like, okay, I guess you can curse every other sentence, and he takes her literally.
1: He's like counting in his head <laughs> each <laughs> sentence, so that's great.
2: I really like the circus description here because Naive sees a bunch of the stuff going on, like the elephants and the acrobats and all this neat stuff. Uh, I wonder where Robert Jordan got all this.
1: You know, I guess he probably went to a circus. Yeah, I, it, this this whole set of chapters has some really detailed and involved descriptions of of circus life, circus acts, that kind of thing. It it makes me wonder if he just had like a, a a brief period where he's really into circuses and he had to put it in his book somewhere.
0: Did you know that Robert Jordan used to be a circus performer?
1: No, I didn't know that.
0: Okay, because it's probably not true. He
2: <laughs> wore a low cut dress and somebody threw knives at him. <laughs>
0: That's what I call a Tuesday.
1: really good in a dress.
0: It is pretty, it is pretty funny, though, because um, Nynaeve spends an awful lot of time thinking about how low-cut her dress is, but she catches up with Uno, and he turns to stare at her, and it says, once she had the shawl back in place over her boobs, he raised the stare to her face. <laughs> it's like, oh, hey, I do
1: know you. I
2: <laughs> actually like that. These some... next few chapters, there's this running joke where everybody keeps getting distracted by
1: her giant boobs.
0: Well, they are huge, right? Yeah. Like, you kind of have to see them. They dwarf everything. <laughs> like, humorously
1: large. Like, if you saw them, you'd be like, is this? Those can't be real. Yeah. But they yeah. are real.
2: Yeah, she's like, when she gets to the city, she's like, the guard stared at me until I put the shawl on again. <laughs> <laughs> then they got distracted at something else.
0: <laughs> That's a great distraction.
2: <laughs> yeah. That's true. That's, they don't even notice her crazy red hair. So she, she meets Uno and, and reminds Uno of who she is, and he immediately sets out to help her. Because... Well, at first he went to pack her off to Tyr, right? Like, he's like, all no, right, you should go to Tyr. That's his idea of helping her. He's like, oh, oh yeah, you should go, go to the dragon. Yeah.
0: Well, she, he says Tyr, or she could go back to tar Yeah,
2: True. gives her the options. He's just going to... Sort of assumes that she
1: needs help. Yes. Yeah.
0: I don't know. Would y'all be offended by that? Because she gets really offended.
1: Uh, me, personally, I... No, I don't think I'd be offended by it. Though I would immediately, like, say, yeah, right, let's, let's not do that. You know, I'd just... I guess the fact that he'd be wanting to help would be nice. Mm-hmm. I
0: don't
1: know. Uh, yeah, I think it kind of makes sense because she was just a,
2: effectively a farm girl mm-hmm. when when Uno last saw her, and uh, and she was kind of tagging along with this other thing. She didn't have any agency before. Yeah. So he immediately assumes you know you're lost.
0: Yeah, and I'm, I'm just. Gonna help you. I'm. I'm wondering if it's reasonable for him to for her naive to get upset at Uno for offering to help because she's like Uh, ah, another man trying to help me.
2: No, it's not reasonable. But okay. She's not reasonable.
0: No. Because
2: you know, even though he doesn't help her in the way he originally thought he did, he totally helps her. Oh yeah. He yeah. totally hooks her up with a couple people that that can maybe get a boat for her. Yeah, it's true. But mm-hmm. she, but the whole time in her head she's thinking, oh what a jerk this guy is for just assuming he can help me. Speaking of hooking her up with people. Yeah. She meets this uh, this prophet person. Yeah, leads her to meet the prophet, who is Masima. Yeah. That really crazy guy that we <laughs> used to know.
0: Can Can you remind me, what did we know about him? I mean, obviously we know who is Shinaran, and Rand performed something, some sort of power, used the one power in front of him, which convinced him.
1: It was just dragon stuff. Just, yeah. in general, dragon stuff. Because he used to hate Rand. Like, he had, like, a real problem with Rand at first, right? There was, like, a thing where... Yeah, they all of, everyone was cool with him except for Masima.
2: Yeah, Masima doesn't like it. Yeah, mm. but then then when Rand proves to everybody that he's the dragon, Masima became this true believer, fanatic,
0: this crazy zealot. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: which is exactly what he is. So Uno leads her in to meet Masima, leads her into this town that's full of crazy zealots and white cloaks, and feels like it's about to cook off.
1: Yeah, there's like they 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 give a couple of examples, but there's lynchings. There's people like I, I guess people just randomly being beheaded without any law, you know, it's just... Yeah, well, it's Massimo's law. Yeah.
0: Well, here's something I was confused about, because Uno is kind of telling us what's been going on in the town, and we know that there's all these other menageries, right, around the city, Mm -hmm. and Uno tells Nynaeve about how a woman who was traveling with one of the other menageries was able to do just, like, little magic tricks, and a mob killed her. (laughs) Like, broke her neck, hung her corpse, everything like that. And so I was wondering, we know Magedion and the Black Aja are looking in the menageries. Is this something that they incited?
1: Oh, maybe they did. Like, yeah. Possible, though, I think Mogedian didn't know they were in a menagerie until, like, last night. Okay. This, I think this is, like, the next day. Yeah, my read is that, well, it, it turns out Masima
2: hates White Cloaks and he hates Aes Sedai. And he hates, I guess, everybody that, that doesn't spend all their time sitting around thinking about how great Rand is. hmm And so yeah, this this crowd of crazy fanatics that follow Masima are, are totally willing to hang somebody for being an Aes Sedai.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I didn't know if maybe that was caused by the White Cloaks, because White Cloaks are t- around there, and there, too. Yeah, so. maybe maybe it's, it's the White Cloaks. Yeah, because Masima,
0: up. he had the ringleaders beheaded, but it was the White Cloaks who whipped up the mob in the first place.
1: Oh. Alright, so the White Cloaks are in the in Masima and presumably the local powers are all kind of like wrestling here, but cotton the cotton the crosshairs are everyone else, I guess. It's just yeah, just a mess.
0: And another reason why I like Uno so much, I think it's kind of it's kinda of sweet almost. Uno is talking about how he needs to escort Nynaeve because the town has become so dangerous and he's very scandalized about that because in Shinar, a woman was safe anywhere, anytime, except from Trollocs and Myrdral, of course, and any man would die to see it so. Which I thought was really sweet and also kind of funny. Like, yeah, you're totally safe except for these horrible demon creatures that might <laughs> Right, Because
1: yeah. they are in the border still, right? I mean, like, yeah. you know, but, but yeah, like everyone has a lot of honor in Shinar, I guess. Yeah.
0: yeah I miss uh, the Shinarans.
1: Me too, yeah. I'm, gl- I'm glad that, you know, Una's background, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this this Masima character, uh, you know, we're going to meet him in a little bit, but, like, Immediately, this is this is a problem for me because like it seems like in any situation where you are under, like this zealot type person, like it's just a real bad scene, you know. Mm-hmm. Things get messy and it's volatile and yeah, yeah, definitely. So speaking of Chapter Thirty
2: Nine, encounters in Samara, the icon of the dragon. Because there's a lot of dragon stuff going on here. Yeah. yeah I, I notice here this there's guards at the gates of Samara and there's also white cloaks standing there at the gates of Samara. Who the hell are these people? Like, I don't know how do they, how do they go around in other people's in other nations, and
1: do military operations, do policing operations. This is kind of always bugged me about this series, but it's just like I think it's something we just have to accept as fact that, that the white cloaks get a lot of free reign because to because it's generally accepted the white cloaks are opposed to quote unquote darkness, however they define mm-hmm. it. So to say you're against the white cloaks is to Say that you're against the good guys, even though they're clearly not really the good guys. But basically, nobody we meet actually believes that about the white cloaks. It doesn't, they don't believe And really even if they're them. naive, then you have one conversation with the white cloaks and you think these people are worthless. You know, oh, these, these people suck. I mean, maybe maybe not. Maybe if you're just like a common folk type person and all you see the white cloaks do is parade around and say, oh, we got a dark friend. And you're like, oh, well, I guess that was a dark friend. You know, maybe, mm. maybe it's believable to them. But no, I, I completely agree. It's, 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 it doesn't make a lot of sense to me that the White Cloaks have such free reign, but they do. And and I guess in this, in particular, in this area, it's pretty close to their base of power, right? They're just yeah, across the river from the, from White Cloak Town. That's right. And and this, yeah, maybe that's it.
0: Is there a, a parallel or a comparison to be made to something that Robert Jordan would have experienced in his life, in historical context? I,
2: honestly, they always reminded me of the KKK. Mm-hmm. but the KKK wore masks, you know, they they didn't they weren't accepted basically anywhere. They were a terrorist group.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: And these the white Cloaks are more organized. They have national backing in Amadisia. Mhm. I don't know. Yeah. So I I really like Samara actually. This it's just sort of a a bunch of motley people of all different types uh, just sort of wandering around mashed up together.
0: Yeah, and we get Robert Jornet the peak of his excellent job of describing all the different people who are there. It's great. Yeah. I love this world. I want to see all this.
2: Uh, Uno takes naive in to see Massima, and he takes her in the back way, because the front way is clogged with more zealots. And Massima's guards and his people that work directly for him are crazies. Yeah. Like they're all crazy. They're all obviously crazy. They're, they're wearing mismatched clothes, and they don't talk, and they stare you down. And I wonder how
1: he's selecting for that. I, I guess it's just, well, I mean, maybe they don't start out that way. Maybe it's just, like, contagious. Maybe, maybe you know, he, he inspires this kind of madness in people. I yeah. don't know. And speaking of crazy, Masima is, is living in an empty mansion
2: that's all dusty and run down because he doesn't care about it. He's just, I just live here. I don't care about keeping up with my mansion. Mm-hmm. And he's meeting with who we later find out is the queen yeah. of Gaelden. Yeah.
0: The fourth queen in not very long amount of time at all
1: yeah just a few months yeah
0: since he came to the city
1: right man I don't so so uno and and Regan joins them another old Chinaran friend they, they they decide that they're gonna take naive to meet massima isn't this like the worst possible idea like she is not known for her diplomacy
0: yeah, but she's basically like the Virgin Mary in his eyes. Yeah, I, I guess. Yeah, which mis- which uh, Uno says at the beginning. He says when he finds out that you grew up in the same town as Rand and basically helped raise him, he'll probably build you a ship to get out of here.
1: I just know that Nynaeve has a history of rolling ones for diplomacy. Yeah. I don't know. You know? Well, I thought it was handled pretty well in this chapter because
2: Uno and Reagan. They know this. They know this about Nynaeve, You know they they met her one time, and they're like, "Okay, can you? Are you sure you can hold your tongue?" And, and they're like worried the whole time. They're like staring at her, like, "Is she gonna get us all killed? What's gonna go? What's gonna happen here?"
1: And they were right to worry because she unloads on Masimo like immediately. Like the first words out of her mouth are just like tearing into him, right? <laughs> yeah, like ten seconds, and she's going off on him. Right. You really shouldn't poke a cult leader. It's just
2: not a good idea. Yeah,
1: <laughs> and uh,
2: and he immediately doesn't like her because she's wearing the booby dress. Yep. And he's like, this is distracting men from the proper thought of the Lord Dragon.
0: Yeah, not the best l- planned out.
1: I wonder where he gets all this stuff. Like, like contemplation of the Lord Dragon. Yeah, it, it, yeah that's an interesting point, because when you, the way he's he's written in this book, he he clearly is like kind of like a cult leader figure, but like that didn't come from Rand. I mean, is that just something that Masema sat down and thought to himself? He's like, all these weird rules and all this this idea that you should like f- spend your time in contemplation of the Lord Dragon—that's not from anywhere, right? Yeah, they, they talk about banning procreation because that's not—you're wasting your time. You should be thinking about Rand.
0: Yeah, there's, there are these weird puritanical elements, and since it's not coming from Christianity, like where is it coming from? That's
1: an interesting question. Yeah, it, it, it seems to have spontaneously generated itself here.
0: I mean, is it possible that there's something in the prophecies of the Dragon that he's been reading?
1: He's gotta be getting
0: this from somewhere. Uh,
1: it's possible, and we we we've seen bits and pieces of the prophecy of the Dragon. I don't remember seeing anything like that, but it's possible. I don't know. Yeah. So whatever it is, Masima has the power of a king in Gaeldon. He has well, all these people following him. I would say more than, right? If because the queen seems to bow to him pretty pretty. Oh quickly. yeah, but she's not she doesn't have the power of a king, right? Yeah, she's true.
2: she's just a puppet, basically mm. who dances. She she's the of the four people that died recently, she's the one that figured out how to keep him happy. Yeah, that's true. And and it's because he's got all of these crazy followers. I wonder is this a Taveran thing or I don't know. You know, this reminded me cuz it doesn't get into a lot of history books, but it's actually pretty common throughout history for there to be mass religious frenzies. Um it happens, you know, every 50 to 100 years or something in in most most European cultures at least. And they would be things like where people would just drop what they're doing, drop their lives, and go follow in a giant horde some religious leader mm-hmm. who would lead them around and eventually they'd all starve or something. Yeah. But it's this is a real thing that happens. It happened in the documentary Game of Thrones also. <laughs> <laughs> ah, yeah. yes,
0: the historical documentary.
2: So, and it's kind of a thing where if there's any kind of like economic depression or something, people just have no roots and they have nothing to do. Mm-hmm. And they can get taken in by this. Yeah. So it's pretty plausible. Although a lot of times those are sort of Naturally occurring things, and they're not centered around one particularly charismatic leader.
0: Mm-hmm. But he's doing like mass weddings and having people beheaded, and
2: yeah, his all justice this stuff. that he's giving out is really harsh and I'm, not thought out at all.
0: No, I'm getting some heavy Jim Jones vibes here.
2: Right. Yeah. Which usually the way that ends is things don't go the way the prophet said they were going to go, and and
1: everything falls apart, and a bunch of people die. Yeah. So so this presumably this is something that is happening to Rand's benefit, but based on the pattern, but how is Rand going to deal with this? I mean, like, what happens when Masima meets Rand, I wonder? Right, yeah, this this is not what Rand wants. Not at all. Like, he would he will immediately oppose Masima, so will Massima change his ways, or will he declare himself opposed to Rand and say he's a false dragon, I yes. wonder? Good I question. would go yeah. for the
0: second one, definitely. Yeah. yeah. I
2: wonder cause... if there... Are, yeah, there are, they said that. There, there are often false dragons that can't channel. They're just crazy guys. Yeah. I wonder if that's where Massima's headed. Maybe. I don't know.
0: And it's interesting because Masima says, you need to tell me about all these miracles that Ran performed as a child. And mm-hmm. she's thinking to herself, Ran never performed any miracles. Like, I heard of stuff happening in Tear, but you could hardly call what a Tavarin caused miracles. Not really. So... Can't you? That's what I was wondering.
1: I would. I mean, that uh, 90s perspective is... Perhaps not not unbiased. I, w- I would call Taverin randomness miracle, of course.
0: But w- I guess I'm curious. What do they think Tavaren means? What is their concept of it? Because it's got to be it's it's different from what we get, right? Based I, on what we've read in the books. I think most
2: people, from what Moraine said, don't know about the random stuff happening around Taverin. Mm-hmm. They they think of Tavaren as just really important people, mm-hmm. like Arthur Hawkwing or whatever. Sure. But this all the stuff like. I don't know, with all the breadsticks falling on the ground in a circle. Which, by the way, is the coolest thing that's ever happened because of Tavarin. Uh-huh. That's true. I believe
0: uh, it was actually fish. Was it? Yeah.
1: A circle oh. of fish. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh-huh.
0: So it's even cooler. Even cooler, cooler yeah.
1: <laughs> well, I, I mean, I'm not sure that it, this always happens around Taverin either. I think Ma- Maureen was saying that Brand is the strongest Taverin that's ever in history or something like that. So maybe, maybe even the side effects aren't always... Following Tavarin and the way they follow Rand.
0: Yeah. So Nynaeve has accepted she's Tavarin. and has she accepted he's the dragon? She just seems to kind of go along with it, but I don't remember when she made that. I
2: think she's in
1: her way. You know, she's like she's accepted it, but she hasn't consciously accepted it. Mm-hmm. She still thinks of Rand as her this you know dumb kid, and yeah, thinks he needs to be taken down a peg because he's getting too but, full of himself. But I don't think she would go out and say, "Oh, he's not the dragon." Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this this meeting actually goes pretty well for Nynaeve considering her complete lack of diplomacy. She reigns it in a little bit towards the end, like in the it, latter half of the conversation. It takes her forever
2: to understand the situation. Yeah. That this guy is crazy and you have to sweet talk him or he'll kill you.
0: Yeah, yeah she was not reading the room.
2: Yeah, she's 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 pretty lucky that she is who she is. And that Uno and Reagan are looking out for her and, and giving her tips on how to deal with this because she would not have navigated this situation on her own. No, she'd yeah. probably be dead. And I I noticed there was a little bit here where Uno is talking about how Massima is taking stuff away from the rich people and giving it to poor people. And Naive gives herself like a, a kind of a self righteous little lecture about how great capitalism is. Yeah. Like, oh, these people that, you know, I, I'm all for the poor people being helped, but, you know, people should be giving to the poor out of their own
1: goodness of their heart. There shouldn't be any kind of redistribution. That's communism. <laughs> Yeah, but, she says something like, "Anyway, in my experience, anytime people are giving to the poor, they're they're lining their own pockets along the way, you know." Yeah, right. I,
0: did, I didn't actually read it as a as a thing about why communism is stupid. I was reading it that when people are collecting money, they end up stealing a bunch of them themselves. Mm-hmm. And she, so so, um,
2: yeah, I, yeah,
0: I, I, and so people who are stupid enough to like f- abandon their farms and follow him, well, they should just starve because they're dumb.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's a pretty capitalist mindset, I yeah. think. I think the the idea of the 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 person who's redistributing wealth taking taking the taking resources for themselves is a common criticism of communism. Yeah, but this is a this is a world of massive inequality, right? Yeah,
2: and it, it's pretty clear that a lot of people are suffering in this world that don't have to when there are plenty of resources to go around because it's feudalism and that's how it works. Uh, and the idea that she immediately rejects any—that it feels like these are really weak criticisms of communism. There are good criticisms, mm. but like, oh, actually, it won't work because because people will just steal all the money. Yeah, that's that's a really bad criticism. Mm.
1: And for what it's worth, Massima is seems to be uh, genuine in his intent. Like, he's not keeping money for himself. He's not he's not lining his pockets. He's living a, a pretty ascetic life, and he's. Making sure that people get fed, so I mean, I guess that's something. Mm-hmm. He, does, he doesn't seem interested in g- gathering a lot of wealth for himself. He's just, I don't know, seeing what he doing, what he believes is the right thing. I guess. I don't yeah, know. I. I don't, know if that's good or I don't buy it. I, people that see themselves as doing
2: the Lord's work often find their way around to believing that the Lord's work involves remunerating themselves handsomely. Yeah. At, at, at least mean, he's, he's living in a mansion right now, right? Well... He has servants. Sort I mean, of. <laughs> if They're, they're stylish <laughs> servants. They, 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 they look like, oh, this is... You know, they're not, like,
1: fancy servants. They're poor-looking servants. But he doesn't cook his own food. He doesn't work. Yeah, I suppose so. He has, like, a little old lady and a little old man who kind of, like, follow him around, but I don't know if I...
0: Well, he might not be interested in worldly goods, but he's definitely greedy for power.
1: Yeah, he, uh, yeah. I will give you that. He's... Definitely gaining a lot of power. So, Nainib makes it
2: out of there. Uh, Masima promises that he'll keep a lookout for a boat that she can take. hmm And uh, on their way out of the city, Nainib notices that Galad is following them.
1: Yep. I mean... Because you can't get rid of this guy. I know. Okay, so... They've been doing... The, the whole reason they joined the circus was to get away from Galad, right? Yeah. So all of that circus stuff was for nothing, basically, at this point, right? But... Now tell me how Nynaeve is not Tavaren. Uh, I was just thinking that, yeah. Like, this, what are the odds of Galad showing up right stubborn. here and now? This and is...
2: he says, like, I'm only here because, like, my orders changed at the last minute. After
1: what they did in Altara, right? Yeah, yeah. After they met there, he was, go- he was going to... he was, oh, he going, was going to Sal- Saladar. He was going to Saladar, yeah. Which is how Nynaeve remembers the name of Saladar, by the way. But anyway, yeah. Yeah,
2: right. And and he didn't show up in Saladar, which would have been an interesting encounter. yeah. And instead he came to Gildan. This is so coincidental. Yep. And like she ran into Uno. That's a little bit less coincidental because Uno stands out in a crowd. I love that, that one eye. The, <laughs> yeah.
1: The did eye he always have it. that? Cause, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. he's
2: making a really big deal about it. Did he always have the eye patch that looked like an eye? No, actually no. She hasn't seen him since uh, he got that. Because he got that when they went out west to fall. That's right, okay. Because yeah, he was like, originally. I need a new eye patch. I'm going to
1: get one with a big angry eye on it. <laughs> And, like, then you can't stop, like, staring at it. It's really distracting. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I, this this feels like Tavarin shit to me. Like, Gal- she she wanders into Uno. She, she finds... She ends up before the, the prophet. She, and, she pulls Birgitta out of the dream. Yeah, to, to help her. I mean, yeah. that's as far as we know, that's never happened before in history, right? Right. And now uh, Galad mis- mysteriously appears in the place where she is. And, and gives her just the piece of information that she needs. Yep. Anyway, chapter 40, the wheel weaves,
2: icon of the sunburst, the white cloaks. So they try and hide from Galad in an alley, but it doesn't work, because Glad is just like, naive. will always do the opposite of what you expect, so I'm just going to go check down that alley. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little silly, but whatever. It okay. totally works. It works, yeah. And I, he's a blademaster, right? So he faces down Uno and Regan, which this rings false to me, because Uno and Regan... They do sword fighting all day, every day, mm-hmm. right? Like, they are they killed more Trollocs than Galad has ever seen. He probably didn't even believe in Trollocs, right? Mm-hmm. I, so why is Galad a
1: threat to these two guys? I don't know that they think he is. I'm not sure that they... I As far as who would win in a fight, it's hard to say. Two of them versus the one of him. But, but they don't seem scared of him, that's for sure.
0: Well, the weird thing is he doesn't seem scared of them, and I was wondering if that just kind of took them aback, because he just kind of pushes their swords away. I... I thought it was implied
2: that he was their match.
0: Well, naive was thinking that perhaps he is—that he's as good as he thinks he is. But it's, but he's—he—he he, he just is completely unconcerned mm. with them. It's not about skill; it's about
1: arrogance. achieving his
0: goal. Yeah, arrogance. I guess I would say that's,
1: would say that's definitely a hallmark of his character. He's—he's he's like arrogant, and he's very like single-minded. I would—I would say that it wouldn't matter if they were able to kill him; he'd still do exactly the same thing. I, I'd say this whole encounter. Reminded me of,
2: like, anime. <laughs> uh-huh. Like, the way that, you know, he's just talking normally, and then when it seems like they might fight, his face goes stone cold. Oh my wa.
1: <laughs> Nani?
0: <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, Galad decides he's going to help out, too. Yeah.
1: I he just, just decided not to turn them over to the White Cloaks? Well, I wonder, good. Could they have just talked to him in the first place? Elaine didn't want to do that. So... I I I still don't trust Galad personally, but but Nadine makes a very good point that I think might be the answer. Here, it's not illegal for them to be Aes uh, I Sedai. I. I I, where they were before, it was illegal for them to be I Sedai. I. Yeah, and that to, to someone like Galad, apparently that matters. He's he's like comically. So bent on maybe they right?
2: shouldn't. Once they saw him there, once they were in
1: Galden, they should have just gone and talked to him? They shouldn't have avoided him? Well, they don't know. I mean, he, he he's not necessarily predictable either because his sense of right isn't necessarily in line with any any sense of morality that anyone else has. Yeah, I'm with you. I don't trust this guy as far as I could throw it. I, I don't. I, I still wouldn't, but, you know, apparently it's the right way to go. So,
2: yeah, he agrees to help them find a boat, which is, is great, right? They're they're following up all the... She's following up all the dialogue trees she can in this town. <laughs> but and Uno and Regan... Decide to join NDA. I know. That's great. They could use 15 Shinarans. Yeah, I know. They got themselves a whole pack of sword bros now. Yeah. And finally, for some reason now, Nynaeve starts having a crisis of confidence. Oh, I know. Which, at at long last, right? Mm -hmm.
1: Because her insane confidence has gotten them into a lot of trouble. Well, they go back and forth. I mean, I I feel like her confidence kind of broke when she had the whole situation with pulling Brigitte out of the dream for a while she was she was you know a little hard on herself and then when she started running into uno she was back to her kind of self self-righteous and arrogant ways and mm-hmm. now she's kind of i guess kicking herself cuz yeah the, she ran into glad she's she, she's gotten them into some potential trouble and
0: no, she's definitely having a crisis of confidence, I think. And one of the th- things, it's more subtle, but something I've noticed is we know that naive when she's talking to men or thinking about men, she's like, they just need to be told what to do or whatever. Mm. But she started qualifying that. She'll mm. say, uh, men, if you tell men what to do, they will, usually, or oh. most of the time, or sometimes. She yeah, started yeah. qualifying those absolutist statements. So, she- so I think she is... Maybe she's maturing a little bit. Yeah. I, I wrote, is she developing? <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, I'm telling you, this this feels like an arc for naive, and I'm really hoping that we come out the other end with a passable character. Yeah. yeah. I mean, she
2: notices actually throughout this whole chapter. Whenever there's she's talking to a group of men and she says something, they always glance at each other, mm-hmm. uh-huh. and she's starting to notice this. Like, and she's kind of annoyed by it. Oh my god, they keep glancing at each other like I'm being crazy. But maybe she's putting two and two together that she. ...is very difficult to deal with.
0: Yeah, and she's questioning herself, like, haven't I caused enough trouble trying to do things my own way? And then, uh, apparently, the voice in her head starts listing all the disasters and near disasters that came from her being a stubborn jerk.
2: Ah, <laughs> uh, I don't know. See, I've, I've totally switched on a Team naive here, where she is a stubborn jerk that has uh, caused a whole bunch of disasters, but also she punched Moghedeon in the face. <laughs> Sure. No one else has done that.
0: She's a berserker. She just fucks shit up.
2: Yeah, not not even Rand has punched a Forsaken in the face yet. She like she's quality, you know. Like yeah, she's a wrecking ball. She's been destroying stuff left and right, which is exactly what we need sometimes. And she needs to be confident in her ability to do that. Mm-hmm. And it, just a you know just a modicum of self awareness and acceptance of other people's opinions would help her a long way, right?
0: Yeah. Well, we'll see what happens with her.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm still on the fence about, like, our current state of naive, as far as, like, where, <laughs> how much I appreciate her. But she's she's getting better, I think. Yeah, yeah we'll see where it goes. And she's about to bring, I guess, uh, an entire army to Gareth Bryan, right? Okay. Like, this is where this is going? So this, yeah, like, she gets back to the circus, and
2: Elaine and Birgitta are like, hey, where were you? And she tells them what happened, which, when she just relates it to them, is crazy, right? Oh, yeah, I ran into Uno, we wandered to the city, and I met the prophet, and I met Galad, and also I have these 15 Shinerans working for me now. <laughs> and like, okay, this is tough errand stuff, right? right? <laughs> you know? Oh, God. This is a pretty cool bit of lampshading by Robert Jordan, where they're like, what? What?
1: <laughs> you
2: didn't, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> but then she goes through with the show.
1: Yeah, that's yeah. right. The show it's, must go on. It's, yeah, it's it's uh, it's not not great for her. She's having a rough time. I seems pretty scary. Yeah, I I can't blame her. I mean, like Brigida may be the best shot in history, you know, which is great, but still pretty scary situation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, a arrow shooting show, and so she stands
2: there in her low cut dress, and Brigida shoots a bunch of arrows at her
1: and misses, and that's the show. I'm I'm am I'm impressed that Brigitte was able to take into account the gravitational pull of my new. <laughs> <in Travis laughs>
2: I He'll mean, there's,
1: because there, there's a lot of depth to them, so there's a foreshortening effect that you have to
2: account for. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, Chapter 41, The Craft of Kin Tovir, icon of the rising sun of Kyrian. We're back to Rand. Rand is surveying the Wetlander troops with High Lord Weramon, who is the leader of the Wetlander troops who came from Tyr, and they're camped a few miles outside of Kyrian. The Shido are besieging Kyrian still, and they're trying to basically deciding what to do. There's about to be a really big battle, and they're setting up for it. Yeah. Of course, Weiramon, who's a moron apparently, wants to just attack the Isle with
1: his like 800 dudes. I like that. There's this like random place where he's talking about the High Lord sigil, and he's like, "I'm pretty sure this isn't Landfear, but at this point, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> right? I can't he's be like, sure, right? Kind of looks like Landfear. He's like, suitable. I'm like 99% sure this guy isn't Landfear, <laughs> but he's got all those stars on his banner. I don't know. <laughs> Oh, it's probably better. Sa- it's probably safer to assume that everyone around you is landfair. I mean, point. Th- so the, the acid test, right, is he needs to hit
2: on a woman in Highlord Waramon's presence <laughs> to see if he goes ballistic. <laughs>
1: That's a good point.
2: And Waramon, I, I actually thought this was a cool bit of character sketch of Waramon. Who, you know, he when he heard Kyrian was besieged, he came charging north and he gathered all the troops he could. But also, he doesn't respect the Aiel at all, and he wants to just attack them. and He thinks they'll all scatter, which. We know, like, five Aiel will kill all these dudes. It's
1: mm-hmm. interesting, because he should know that too, right? Like, he's old enough to remember when the Aiel came across the mountains. Yeah, they think they beat the Aiel in the Aiel War. I guess so. But the Aiel War, they lasted until Laman died, and then they all just left. I, I don't... Yeah, it, it just seems like a lot of people gained a healthy respect for the Aiel when that happened. Yeah. And it's surprising to me that he didn't. And yeah, these lords live in a bubble. Yeah, that's true. We get a little bit of news that
2: Ilion is harassing Tyr... Which I guess is part of Samael's plan to provoke Rand, which is not
1: working at all. It's interesting. Rand because, doesn't care. Yeah, well, let, Rand doesn't think of it this way, but if you, the way that the Forsaken have set themselves up, they all have kind of like a town that's their, their town, and I guess they think of Tyr as Rand's town.
2: Yeah, so yeah. So like, oh, that's well, attack
1: Tyr, that's his, his territory. And he's mm-hmm. like, eh, whatever.
2: Yeah, it's another bit where Rand is just not on the same page as the Forsaken. Yep. And Avienda is being nice to Rand. Yeah, that sex excursion really turned things around, I guess. <laughs> I mean, he should have boned her when they first met. We wouldn't have had any of these annoyances. I know, right? But uh, Rand heads over to his observation tower that he's had built with telescopes made by Master Kin Tovir, which... Is he the first guy to think of this?
0: I was wondering about that.
1: I guess. Okay, so we know that telescopes as a concept are probably pretty rare. Like, I remember there's one point when... Uh, Elaine sees a guy with glasses on, and she's not cr- really quite sure what to make of it. So this this lens technology is pretty pretty uncommon at this point, I suppose. Mm-hmm. So maybe telescopes aren't a, a thing that a lot of people have. I don't think we've ever... Have we, have we seen them using one of these up until now? Uh, Bale Domon had one. Okay. So, but he, he the, the people of the ocean also have access to things that other people don't have, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess that's it. Uh, yeah. But surely... Gareth Bryan has thought of using telescopes to see what the enemy is doing when they are far away. Yeah, I don't know. That in building this tower, it seems, it seems to give him a, real, well, a really I, useful advantage.
2: I think there's something else with this tower that we don't know yet. Hmm. Oh, yeah?
0: It felt kind of like a renaissance sort of thing to me. Like, they've been living in the Dark Ages, and the, and the dragon, or Rand, is dragging them into a renaissance.
2: Yeah, so in real world history, we're accustomed to think of history as like this march of increasing technology and population and wealth and so forth. But this is a world of decline Mm -hmm. where all the great times were in the past and they've been slowly declining ever since. Yeah. So the idea of doing something new may really be a new concept to them. Yeah. Uh, And
1: interestingly, Egwene has agreed to fight in the battle with her powers. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know why she's playing so coy about this. We know that Egwene has, like... Cool battle wizardry skills. She did this to Shan chan right? Like she was like well, shooting lava fishers into the air and it's stuff. It's because she wants to be an ice Sedai, and I said Sedai don't do that. Yeah, Moraine looks down on it. I suppose so, but this is something where she could save a lot of lives. I think so. Mm-hmm. I'm glad she agrees to do it. I'm surprised that she's yeah taking her time about Sweet it. Sweet battle wizards.
2: Mm-hmm. So Rand spies out the besieged city with his telescope, which is pretty cool. It's mm-hmm. another another really good. Uh, Robert Jordan description of the city. You know, the the outer city, The what is it called? The foregate? The foregate, yeah. Has been burned, and the Kuladin has blocked up the river with logs so that the, the city can't get any supplies. Uh, he does notice a strange spear fly out from the city and kill some Shido. Who are yeah.
0: around Kuladin. Yeah,
2: so, and, and he doesn't know what that is. Nobody could throw a spear that far. Mm-mm. So it's like a ballista, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, I, I, that's my guess. Something yeah. like that. But uh, Rand is ready to fight. Yep. This battle's coming down the pike. Chapter 42, Before the Arrow. Icon of the Dice. Matt chapters. Yeah. So
0: good.
2: Yeah, so Matt's
1: laying in his tent, thinking about how he needs to get the hell out of here he's before like, this battle happens. He's like, how did my life get so off the rails? Yeah. So like staring at the tent ceiling, like with his, this this goblet of really expensive wine kind of spilling a little bit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, what am I doing?
2: He's like, man, I thought things were really bad when we were in the Aiel Waste, but... There's about to be a battle right here. (laughs) So he decides it's time to go. Will
1: he make it this time? I don't know. We'll see. Yeah,
2: let's find out. So he heads over to Rand's tent to say, "Uh, Goodbye, Rand. I'm going to go for real this time. And And He knows that from his perspective, Moraine is getting everything she wants from Rand.
1: Yeah, this is an interesting idea. dude. Would you agree with that? Yes, I I would. So is Moraine still kind of controlling the situation, even though it doesn't appear so? Well, I think she's... Managed to, I think she's given
2: up on controlling the situation, and she is, and that has allowed her to do what she really wants to do, which is prepare Rand for the last battle. Yeah. Which originally she shot, she thought she would do that by uh, controlling his actions and 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 micromanaging him, and she's realized she can't do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like a flower to the sun, you mm-hmm. know, you yeah. surrender to it by, to control it. You yeah, know? we've heard that before, huh? Yeah, to control the one power, you
1: lay back and like it, right? <laughs> God. Uh, but Matt, yeah, Matt sees uh, Ren's telescope tower and he, he thinks to himself how it's a good idea. He's like, yeah, this is, knowing the knowing the land, land is good. But then he has some, some Matt words of wisdom, which I think are really nice. Uh, Never kiss a girl whose brothers have knife scars. Yeah. So, uh, there you go. Thanks, that's Matt. Like, I mean, that's very specific advice, right? <laughs> I
2: mean, How Matt, often does that come up, really? Is it for Matt? Uh,
1: <laughs> probably more common than
2: not. On the regular. Yeah. Yeah, in the Aiel tent, it's, uh, Rand's not there yet, so Matt considers the, the battle maps and the plans all laid out in front of him, just kind of idly. The Aiel situation is, Rand has a bunch of Aiel, Kulidin has a bunch of Aiel, and there's four unaffiliated clans. Which, uh, and Rand has about the numbers to the numbers to equal both Kulidin's
1: Aiel and the four unaffiliated clans, but not enough to fight them both. So the, he was saying something about 160,000 Aeol. Yes. that's is, how much Kulin, Kulin has, has. and Rand has about 300, and, he said about double that, so yeah. there's like half a million Aeol. Yes, the entire Aeol people have come out of the waste. Yeah, I, I guess more, I guess it's closer to, closer to a million Aeol if you count the other clans that are coming in. That's, that's pretty wild, that's It's, a, it's a massive amount of people. Like, yeah, it's, I, like in history... Like, my, my my battle history is not great, but like uh, forces this size weren't often gathered in, in it's, ancient history. It's right? very
2: rare. Yeah,
1: it, it did happen,
2: but it was usually what would happen is when a, a people like the Germans decided to uproot and move somewhere else, yeah. and they would bring all of their like family and and pack of animals and everything they could carry with them because they intended to just go somewhere else. That's the only time the battles really got that big. Yeah, and they even the, come the in. Persians would do it a few times. Yeah, they even... but it just just feeding that many people was beyond the capability of most ancient civilizations. That's yeah.
0: what I was wondering, just the logistics of all of that.
1: What, yeah. What
0: are they eating? Where are they pooping?
1: You know? <laughs> yeah, right?
0: Gotta uh-huh. think about this stuff.
1: I mean the Ayel probably are the, the Ayel are somewhat nomadic, so maybe they have ways of dealing with that, I guess. I don't know. Right, yeah. It's
2: with that many people, the situation is like you can't even give orders to that many people. You can't one person can't talk to that many people. Yeah, that's true. So Lan comes in and casually prods Matt into, you know, Talking about what what he thinks of the battle plan, and Matt like he's sort of distracted, so he lays out a perfectly engineered battle plan for them, like without even really thinking about it. <laughs> and this is so cool.
1: I know, I love it. And then <laughs> admit, like he's just like going through, he's like laying all this stuff out, and the tail is like just watching, like what the fuck is going on <laughs> what here? <the> hell? <laughs> Who is this?
2: It's, it's so slick. I love the way Robert Jordan writes this because yeah. you know he starts out thinking like. I'm not a fighter. I'm a gambler. I I like gambling and and kissing girls and this is not the place for me. And then when he starts thinking about this, he actually, he doesn't change his mind. It's not a different personality. He starts thinking, yeah, I'm a gambler and battle is the ultimate gamble. (laughs) Like, you know, it's not just coins, it's lives and nations hinge on
0: this. Yeah. Well, it's so cool too because he's naming all these places from history which we don't know anything about but at the same time, the way Robert Jordan writes it, he's explain, he does a really good job explaining the tactics that Matt is talking about.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you know what he means. Like, this, this battle it plan, along. it's like a page long, and you know what the plan is. It's a complicated plan of 160,000 people, right? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And later, Lana's like, yeah, me and the other IEL captains took days to figure this out, and <laughs> yeah, was right. just like, I got it.
2: Yeah, and he rolled it out. Yeah, and I like how... He was like, "Oh yeah, this is just like at that one battle I was at. Oh yeah, and that other battle. Oh yeah, and these other two battles were like that too."
0: <laughs> well, here's my question though, because Natale's like, "What the fuck?" But I was wondering, does he, does he recognize him from a previous incantation? I don't.
2: If, if my understanding of the timeline is correct, all of Matt's memories came from after Natale was trapped in the dark Darksworn okay. President, so they didn't know each other.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, but and, and, what the fuck does uh, Land know?
2: Yeah, Land, who's a military historian, surely because he's military everything. Yeah, he probably knows a
1: lot about this stuff. How did
0: he know to even prod him in the first place? Though? Well, well, we so, get to that.
1: Yeah, so so I don't think that uh, Matt is saying any of these names out loud. First of all, I think that's all stuff he's saying in his head. So I don't think anyone like, I don't think anyone knows exactly where he's coming from. But I, I believe Land mentions that at a couple of previous points that are are overhears Matt saying things like, oh, you know, watch the walls, or, you know, all these, like, real... So I, th- I think he's got some ideas about that, right? Yeah, people have noticed that Matt's been acting funny. Yeah. yeah,
0: but Matt even says, like, Lan and I have never talked before, but he has heard him talking in the old tongue, and Lan knows the old tongue, so...
1: That's true, maybe yeah. Maybe so... he's
0: starting to connect some dots? I mean, if you're Maureen's warder for however many years, you're gonna pick up some Sure, stuff. Lan's
2: very sharp. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Just and, like... dreamy. <laughs> and dreamy.
0: And <laughs> dreamy.
2: With his hard features. So I wrote down my favorite quotes from this, this bit about Matt uh, running down the battle plan. Battle is a game that set the blood racing. <laughs> and uh, and it like, lands like, what if the other clans all attack us? And he's like, well then you toss the dice and hope because the dark one's in the game for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and then, But he's like, but I, I don't think that they will attack. They're going to wait and see because victory settles a lot of arguments in most men's heads. <laughs> it's like
1: Come on, was, dude. Oh. This he's, is so cool. Like, this is definitely not Matt talk. No, you, but you're right. Matt Matt's gotten so much better, you know? I remember in the beginning how how much I despised his character. He's so much fun now. Yeah. He's ridiculous.
2: And then he comes to and he's like, uh, <laughs> I'm not a fighter. JK. I gotta go. Yeah. yeah JK. <laughs> <laughs> And and yeah, Lan and Rand is there now, and they're all like, yeah, all right. And he's like, i, I got to go. I'm going to go. And they're like, yeah, you can go. You, no, nobody's stopping you. I, I, right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so he leaves, and the dice are rolling in his head. And he's like, oh, that's probably not important. That's probably about Melinda or something.
1: <laughs> <All right. laughs> oh, so, is he actually going to make it out this time? I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, we'll find out.
2: And uh, we cut to Rand, and it turns out Rand sent Land in there to grill Matt on purpose. Yep. Because Rand knows there's something up with them, and Rand knows a little bit about having other people's memories in your head. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and uh, he thinks to himself, "This is, this is what I have to do. This is how you make yourself a lord. You use the people around you to accomplish
1: what you need to do. This is leadership." But he's really hard on himself about it. Yeah, because he, he doesn't want to be manipulative. He doesn't want to be like using these people like pawns. He wants yeah. these are his friends. So. But he feels he has to, and he's like, "Oh, you're awful." Yeah, when he says that to himself. Yep.
0: But Rand realizes, though, that the only way he's that they're going to win this last battle, though, is if all three of the men are together.
2: Yeah. It's yeah, I think he, he
1: knows, like, Matt can't really run away. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. interesting how, how aware he is of the, the, the draw that he has, because, you know, Matt's sort of aware of it, because he's been feeling of it. As far as we knew, Rand wasn't really aware of how he was drawing these people to him, but it seems like he's kind of, he's like, enjoy your freedom while you can, because you're going to be coming right back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then
2: Rand sits down to finish the battle plans with the chiefs and with High Lord Weramon.
0: And Natale's providing some sweet background music.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dirge music.
0: Uh-huh.
2: Uh, I, he's kind of a bad
1: bard. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's, he doesn't play good music. And he's nobody a likes musician, him. but no, he doesn't play the song that you know, everyone <laughs> wants to hear. Uh, there's an interesting thing here. He actually gives Lan an order, and Lan bows, and then... Goals. Yeah, what do you suppose that's about? I, I think that Land recognizes him as a general at this point. But this is the first time Land's done that. I think so. Mm-hmm. What changed? Maybe the fact that Rand sent him in here in anticipation of what Matt would be doing. Maybe he saw that as a as a an, as him commanding the situation or him being yeah. You know, that is what Moraine would have done. Yeah. Go find mm-hmm. out what Matt knows. Don't tell him you're gonna pump it for information. Yeah. It's it may, it, It's a sign of respect for sure, and, and one that Land does not give easily. Yeah.
0: And also too, I think maybe there's some significance in that Rand is treating Matt very coldly, not like an old friend, but like an asset. Yeah. So there might be something in that too. He's he's moved beyond that immaturity and is uh, just doing what he has to do.
1: Mm-hmm. That's true.
0: Dispassionately. Because I shouldn't have closed it already. Because as we hear, even though everybody gets really sad over the music that Natale's playing, for Rand, it touches nothing. Tears were a luxury he could no longer afford, not <laughs> even inside. Oh, okay. oh. I mean, that—that's that's an eye roll.
2: I like how Rand knows he doesn't know anything about battles and he doesn't try and take command of that. Yeah. That's yeah. something a leader That's, does. Yeah, leaderly,
1: too. He's using these assets mm-hmm. appropriately. Yeah. His, 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 he's, he seems pretty ready to admit when he doesn't know something. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of areas where this happens where he's like, I don't, you know, I don't... Yeah, it, it's an interesting thing because
2: Nynaeve and Egwene are always thinking about him as getting super arrogant. And, you know, what is it? It was a pig in a pea field or something. Yeah, like, whatever. That and, and, but he's not,
1: really, you know? Yep, yeah, it's true. He's He seems constantly full of self doubt which is probably a good thing for someone in his position
0: it's changed though cuz it used to be self doubt like he was cons he used to constantly think to himself i'm not the dragon i'm not worthy of this why do maybe not i'm not worthy but i don't understand why all these people are bowing down to me i wish they would stop and now it's more of a the knowledge of a leader that there are limitations and that's part of your strength is to look for Ways to fulfill that.
1: It's a good lesson for him to learn, because I think that's, he's gonna, he doesn't know what he's doing. I mean, as much as Maureen is trying to fill his head with useful information, he's still a guy who was spent yeah. most of his life raising sheep.
2: That's mm-hmm. why I sort of wish he would embrace the lose
1: Theron memories. Yeah. Because lose Theron knew what he was doing. You know, that's, a, that's an interesting point. Both he and Matt are pretty... Uh, avoidant of their of their new useful information. They yeah. really need to embrace that cuz like that's the the best thing about them, right? Yeah. Their best qualities are coming from these past lives.
2: So, that's it for this episode. Next time we're going to cover chapters 43 through 46 of The Fires of Heaven. I am Jeff Lake. That's at Jeff underscore Lake on Twitter.
0: I'm Alice Sullivan, at Alice M. Sullivan.
2: And I'm Mike Sparkman. I still don't have one of those. If you have any comments, questions, or feedback, please drop us a line at hello at the dragon reread.com.
0: We'd love to hear from you.
2: And please share us with anybody you think will like us. Please give us good reviews wherever you got this. Uh, please check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash armadillo podcasting club. Please like us in real life. We're so likable. Until next time, the, the light, light illuminate you. you.